All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. One announcement before we get started. So if you haven't seen this on our social media and or um, on any of our outlets here on Sunday morning, Baptism Sunday is coming up on September the 19th. Um, And so if you want to be baptized or if you want to talk to somebody about baptism, uh, you can do it in a couple different ways. So one, you can go on our app. Um, and on our app, you can sign up, and somebody will get a hold of you, um, and you can sit down and talk with them about baptism. You also can fill out a Connect card, so they're on the tables as you're leaving or out at the Welcome Center. You can get a Connect card, sign up, somebody will get with you, and we can talk um, about baptism with you. If you can't figure out either one of those things, which is fine, just see somebody uh, from the staff and they will help you uh, get connected when it comes to baptism. Baptism Sunday is a great Sunday, so even though if you're not going to be baptized, it'll be for both services. It's a great time to come and hear the stories of people because this is what we all need to be reminded. God is living, God is still changing the hearts of people, and God can transform this world through changing of the lives of people. So Baptism Sunday is a great way to uh, look at that. Right, so if you've been with us, we're going to do a little bit of a recap. So whether you've been with us online or whether or not you've been here uh, with us in the main campus, or if you're just new with us, I want to do a little bit of a recap. We're doing this thing called grown-up prayers, and I want to give you the thought process behind grown-up prayers. So a lot of us, regardless of your religious affiliation or how much you went to church, my guess is that you still had some sort of an idea of what prayer was like, right? Like somebody around you prayed, somebody, you know, in in the midst of your family prayed. And so you had, when you were a kid, certain prayers that you prayed, right? And that you uh, were a part of. But if you're like me, the things that you were praying about as a kid or even as you were in high school has tend to change when you become a grown-up, right? And the thing that really changes the most is really what you're praying for, like the severity of it. So like in high school, like help me find my keys, pass the test. Um, back then it was, you used to actually write letters to your girlfriend, you know, and so let her write you one back type of a thing. So, you know, or let her check yes or whatever those things are you're, you're praying for. The worst case scenario, if you don't find your keys and you don't pass the test or she says no, there's always another girlfriend, always another test and they can remake keys, right? Like that's Some of, when we're younger, what we pray about, if it doesn't come true, we essentially can, something else can happen, right, inside of it. And it's not, when I say it's not a big deal, I don't mean it that way, because every time we pray about something, it's a big deal to us, you know. But then you get older, and you start praying about things that, like, if it doesn't come true, this is a big deal, right? Like, somebody is sick, and... You, you, you need God to heal them, and if he doesn't, that person that you love is not going to be in your life, or this person's addicted to drugs, and if they don't get off of it, it's going to, you know, destroy their life, or you know what I mean? Like, there's these prayers that when you're a grown-up, the significance of them all of a sudden changes, and that's what I want to talk about, because for me, that's the story of my life when it comes to prayer. It's like you can pray about the things that seem insignificant, and if they don't come true, usually it's not life-altering. But the things that were life-altering, and I'm just being honest with my own prayer, the things that were life-altering that I prayed about, guess what? God never answered, you know? And here's the funny thing about when you talk about prayer. People like, surely he did. God answers prayers, you know? Yes, no, or maybe. Well, listen, so that all seems fine until he says no, and that answer of no devastates your life. You know what I mean? Like, that's fine to just kind of put it in a cliche of like, God answers all prayers, yes, no, or maybe, until he answers the prayer, no, and it's somebody that you were close to, somebody that, that, you know, changes the trajectory of your life if this prayer isn't answered. And so then the question is, what do you do about that, right? So as a Christian person, when you pray for things that you want to come true and they don't come true, how do you deal with that? 
And I shared with you guys, like, part of the journey I think some people get on is just like, yeah, I'm ticked off, right? Like, why didn't God answer my prayer? Why hasn't God answered my prayer? And you get into this funk of being very angry because let's be honest with ourselves. A lot of our prayers, right or wrong, revolve around what we want or what we want for other people, right? So a lot of your prayer life has revolved around, this is what I want, and so I'm going to pray about it. This is what somebody else wants, and I'm going to pray about it. And, and again, um, uh, in the situation of thinking about like what you pray for, if you haven't experienced this, let me give you a little heads up. So it's one thing to pray for somebody, and that prayer isn't answered, but it's not personal. Anybody ever, like, you hear what I'm saying, right? Like, you're praying for somebody else to be healed, but they're not a part of your family, and then they don't get healed, and you're like, wow, that's a bummer, and I feel sorry for them, and I'm sad, I wish God would heal. And then it happens to you. You know what I mean? And so there's this whole different, like, how do you deal with it when it's personal, right? When your prayers aren't answered, and when you're used to praying for needs to be met, and when those needs aren't met, you can kind of even slough it off when it's somebody else's need, but when it's you and it's personal, Something changes inside of you of how you unpack that in your own life. So how do you deal with it if we're not going to get upset? Or how are we going to deal with it if our life has revolved around asking for our own needs and the needs of other people? Is it possible that we are possibly praying the wrong way? So is it possible that that shouldn't be the focus of our prayer life, and that's part of why we're wrestling with these unanswered prayers or these feelings that go with unanswered prayers. So grown-up prayers was, in, was a way to say what the disciples said. So the disciples grew up praying, but then they watched Jesus pray, and when Jesus would come back from praying, they're like, I don't know what we're doing, but we don't, we're not like that when we get done, right? Like, we don't feel like that. We don't deal with things like that. We don't, you know, approach life like that. So they went to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray, right? And so when they went to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, Jesus came back to them. And for them, it was revolutionary. Like what Jesus taught them when it came to teach us how to pray was completely revolutionary. And I think if you're open to this concept, it could be completely revolutionary to you. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 6. It's going to be Matthew 6, 5 through 15. But while you're there, I want to do some foundational work because one of the problems in uh, the Christian life or even the Christian church or even coming to church sometimes is, is that you look at a scripture and scripture has an assumed truth in it, but you don't know the truth. Does that make sense? So, like, when Jesus is talking about prayer or what he's getting ready to teach you about prayer, he's assuming that you already understand a truth that he's established way before he gets to this point of teaching you how to pray, right? And here's the assumed truth that he established with everybody else that I think we have to establish if this is going to make any sense. So, part of the problem in Christianity is we love the scriptures we love, and we ignore the scriptures that we don't make any sense of, right? So one of the biggest scriptures that people love is John 3.16, right? You see it on billboards. You see it in the end of football stadiums, John 3.16. Whoever believes in me shall not perish and have everlasting life, right? And you're like, dude, I'm in with that one. All I have to do is believe in Jesus you know, and if I believe in Jesus, then I'll have eternal life. I get to go to heaven, not to hell. That's a good deal. That's what I'm going to do, right? So everybody gets John 3.16 tattooed on them, or the little eye black in a football game says John 3.16. I doubt whether they are tattooing the, the scripture uh, on them in Matthew when it says, if you want to be a disciple of mine, this is what you need to do. Right? The only people who are worthy disciples of mine are the ones who follow me. Right? And one of them says, well, just give us a chance. All we have to do is go back and, you know, my father died, so I need to have his funeral. And Jesus looks at him and said, anybody know? Let the dead bury their dead. And they're like, wow, that was harsh. 
<laughs> you know, well, if you want to be a disciple of mine, this is what Jesus says. If you want to be a disciple of mine, you don't get the excuses. Follow me or don't. Anybody got that tattooed on them? Right? Like nobody wants to hear that, but we understand that the essence of the gospel, remember, Jesus never went up to him and said, hey, Don, do you want to be a disciple of mine? All you have to do is just believe in me. Are you in? You know, and this is what believing in me means. Like hell's bad and worms will eat you and heaven's way better. You guys made a house for you. Which one do you want? Like, duh. You know, Don's picking Jesus, if that was the case. But then Jesus would say, now think about this. Do you remember the life or ministry of Jesus? A lot of people followed him in the beginning. Hardly anybody followed him at the end. You know why that was? It's because he was clarifying that you need to follow me. Like, if you want to be a disciple of mine, you need to follow me. And he was clarifying following me. And they're like, wow, this sucks. Like, I don't know who wants to do this. Like, this is way too hard, too much work, ask too much of me. I don't want to surrender myself. I'm not going to do those things. So Jesus' assumption was that everybody gets this. When he went to ask the disciples, right, when he went and talked to people, he, Jesus never said, all you have to do is believe in me. He says, what you need to do is follow me. So there's an assumption, right? So this is an assumed truth. This is what I was saying in the beginning. Are we still all together? Right. So the assumed truth that Jesus has before he teaches them how to pray is this. You, if you call yourself a Christian, are a follower of Christ, right? That was an assumed truth. Like you're going to be a follower of Christ because what you're going to find out is if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you read what he says next, you're going to be like, well, this doesn't even make any sense, right? Like this doesn't even fit or, you know, it doesn't, doesn't make sense in the way that I would have understood prayer. So Matthew 6, with that assumed truth, right, let's read through it and let's start to get some these foundations built up again, okay? So Matthew 6, 5 through 15, and again, we'll quickly go through this and get to where we're going to be going today, but we got to make sure we, we get this part right. So it says, and when you pray, this is starting in verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, uh, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into a room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Verse 8, and this is the part that hopefully brings everybody's prayer life into question. He says, don't be like them, meaning the hypocrites. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Right? And if you really want to read that for what it says, so if he already knows your needs before you ask him and your whole prayer life has been surrounded about around your needs or the needs of other people, what's the natural question? Then why, why pray, right? So why pray if your prayer life revolves around needs? Jesus got done just saying, hey, I already know your needs, so you don't have to say them. Like, it's good that you say them, continue to say them. I want you to say them, but I got some other work for you to do before this part, part ever really kicks in, okay? And he says, this is the work that you need to do, and it only gets done, right, and remember this. The foundation of prayer can only get done when you're in a room by yourself. Does it mean that the only way that you can pray is in a room by yourself? I'll give you a heads up on that one. No. But it does mean that the foundational work of prayer, purpose of prayer, isn't going to get done on your lawnmower. And it isn't going to get done on your car ride to work. And it isn't going to get done on the treadmill. Foundation of prayer has to get done based upon or in a room by yourself. And that's what he does next. So he says, let me give you the purpose of prayer. This is verse 9. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now, think about this. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you just believe in him and now all of a sudden he's asking you to get in a room and he's saying the purpose of prayer is to do this. Stop focusing on your kingdom and start focusing on my kingdom. If you're just a believer, right, somebody who believes in Jesus and not a follower, does that make any sense? Because if you're a believer, 
you're a believer, meaning this, you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you want to go to heaven, but when you're a follower, whose kingdom is it really about, yours or his? When you're a follower, right? But when you're just a believer, whose kingdom is it really about? Yours. I mean, I don't know if you want to admit that or not, but that's really true, right? The, if you are a follower of Jesus and he says, get into a room and shut the door and, and work through or unpack this, my kingdom come and my will be done. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be like, oh yeah, that makes complete sense, right? And this is what I was saying to you. This is why I was telling you, when you get in a room and you close the door, and I'm just going to speak from my own experience, okay? So when I get in a room and I close the door and I'm upset that God didn't answer my prayer, right? Why am I upset? Because whose kingdom is it about? Mine, right? So I'm mad. Why am I mad? Because God did not make my kingdom what I wanted, right? So I'm upset because my kingdom would have said, Sherry gets to live. My kingdom says, you know, her mom would have lived. My kingdom would say, whatever your situation is. My kingdom said, this is the way life should go. Your kingdom said it's going to go this way. You know why I have so much tension? It's because it was more about my kingdom than it was about his kingdom. That's where the tension comes from right? And so he says, you have to get alone, and you're going to only be able to unpack this and wrestle through this once you make a decision. Whose kingdom was it about anyway, right? Are you a follower? Are you not a follower, right? Is Jesus a vending machine, or is he a Lord? Because I know you don't want to believe this, but times, do we treat Jesus like a vending machine? Like, here's what I want. Type in the right number, and as long as I put in enough money, then you could put it into whatever you want. Like you could be, you know, as long as I say the right prayers, fast the right amount, you know, lay hands on them. You know what I mean? Like if I do all of these things and I temp on all the right numbers, surely he's going to be able to answer my prayers because really what Jesus is is a favor maker. So I just want him to do my favors and when he doesn't do my favors, I really have a lot of tension because I can't figure out why wouldn't he do my favor? I heard him do somebody else's favor. Why wouldn't he do it for me? So in the beginning, the, the assumed truth that you're a follower, if you are a follower of Christ, this wrestling through whose kingdom, although it will be wrestling, it will be easy to land on what the truth is, right? That it's about his kingdom and not ours, right? So back to the assumed truth that he would know. Now, he goes on then and says, okay, you want to get to the needs part? So you want to get to the part where you can pray for needs? So he says, I'm not even going to, you know, make this, like, big. I'm not going to say, you know, like, here's ten things that you should be praying about. I'm going to give you, if you want to talk about needs, I'm going to wrap them all up in three things. Provision, pardon, and protection, right? Provision, give us this day. So if you want to you pray for your needs, here's one I want you to start with. Give us this day our daily bread. Why did he want you to pray that? Why does he want you to pray for provision? Because any guy do without your daily bread... I mean, I had sugar cream pie for breakfast. I don't know about you, right? Like, I wasn't too worried about the daily bread piece of it all, right? Like, there tends to be plenty of food to be able to go around or plenty of provision. Like, you don't have to worry about that. Why is he wanting you to be reminded every day when you close the door and you pray for daily provision? This is why, because this is what he knows. When you have all that you need, you tend to not need him. You tend to forget who's giving you what you need. You tend to forget where everything's come from. So he says, let me remind you, in the United States of America, there's not going to be a lot of times your pantries are going to be empty, but let me remind you, in the wink of an eye, in the snap of your finger, everything could change. Don't forget me. Right? Like, life can change. I am your daily provision. Then he says, you also should think about this whole pardon aspect, you know, Forgives us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, right? So why the pardon part of it? And this is, you know, I love this piece because it's a great reminder. So why ask for forgiveness of sins if our sin is already forgiven? Right, remember we talked about that? So if our sins are already forgiven, so there's two reasons why. 
right? Two reasons why. One of the reasons that, that we need to go to our Father in a room and we need to unveil the sins of our life is so that you can get a proper view of yourself. Part of the problem is with people, the longer that you're in church and the better that you become, the more that you forget the truth of Scripture, you're a heathen, just like me. Isn't that great? Some of you are like, did he just say I'm a heathen? I'm not a heathen. Like, my neighbor's a heathen, but I'm not a heathen. <laughs> right? Like, we all have this, like, view of what we think heathens are. Well, let me give you the view of Scripture. You know what the view of Scripture is? No matter what your righteous deeds are, in the eyes of God, they're like filthy rags, right? Like, we're all heathens. And when you have a proper view of yourself, you know what this does? It gives you a proper view of other people. You know, part of the problem in the Christian world today is, is when you don't have a proper view of self, you'll never have a proper view of other people. You know, what I said about Life Church, this is what I love about this church and the culture of this church is we all believe we're heathens. And if you don't believe it, stay here long enough. I'll remind you, you know. And if you think that you're good and you think that you're righteous and you look down on other people, you won't stay here very long because we'll remind you that you're not that good, right? Like that's what I love about Life Church because remember, our responsibility is to reach and love people. And if you don't have a proper view of yourself, you're not going to have a proper view of other people. You're going to look down at them, right? Remember when I told you the story about people who were going to other churches who said, I'm really glad you have Life Church. Like, I would never go there, but I'd love to have this person go there. Remember I told you that story? This would happen all the time. Like, they could never come to my church, but they could come to your church. Like, they'd be accepted there. And I'm like, why could they never come to your church? We already knew the answer. Like, none of them think they're heathens, right? They all think they're righteous, religious people who put on a facade. And I'm like, that's why somebody who is unsaved could never fit inside of a church because everybody thinks they're way more religious than they, what they really are. They should get a proper view of themselves. So pardon. You need to have a proper view of yourself so that you can get a proper view of other people. So that's all recap, right? That's all things that we've talked about in the past couple weeks. Now, here's what we're going to talk about this week. It says, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, this is the protection part. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, there's some work we got to do on this. So one of the things that I think, so I could be wrong on this. I might be out of touch with culture, but I think that this is true. I'm not really sure that this is something that most people pray, Right? Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think we live more on the standpoint of everybody sins, I'm going to sin, I'm just glad I can ask for forgiveness later, right? Like not the whole idea of trying to live a holy life. You've just kind of resolved to the fact of I'm not going to live a holy life and thank goodness for forgiveness, right? Where he's saying inside of this scripture, like you need to Stay away from temptation. You need to stay away from sin. That there's something to be said for not sinning in your life and waiting later to ask for forgiveness. So it comes across in, in two ways, right? Or two things that we have to remember. So one of the reasons that we say don't lead us into temptation and don't, you know, give us a place to sin. So young people, listen to me closely because this is something that I never got as a kid. And so I want you to hear this so that you don't forget what, what's happening inside of Scripture. If you sin, so if you've heard this, I know if you've heard this, you've made a mistake and, you know, your parents, because they don't want to get on you too much, or your friends will be like, well, we're all sinners, you know, and God forgives you and so do we, which is true. But you know what the other thing that I don't want you to miss is? Do you understand that there are consequences regardless of forgiveness for your sin on this earth? There are consequences. You can be forgiven. God will forgive you. But it does not change that if you do this and if you choose to sin, there are consequences regardless of whether or not he's going to forgive you. Are we all tracking? 
That's why I always used to say, you know, and maybe you parents can relate to all of this, is so I would tell my kids, like, there's a reason you shouldn't get hammered. I can tell you why. I've been there, right? No parents shaking their head right now because they don't want their kids to know that they got hammered in their life one day. But this is really true. Like, I would say to my kids, you know what happens on the other side of being completely inebriated? Right? A lot of regrets. A lot. You say a lot of things and you do a lot of things and you act in certain ways that I, let me tell you in, let me tell you in advance, I'm trying to keep you from the consequences. Will God forgive you for getting hammered? We better, because half of you in here would be in trouble, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, does God forgive you if you make the mistake? Does God forgive you if you have premarital sex? Some people are like, I don't know on that one. I mean, I know he forgives the drunk people, but I don't know about the people that are having sex. Like, I don't know if that works. Yes, does it mean that there are still consequences for having sex outside of marriage? Yes, right? Like, there's con- So all parents are trying to do is to say to you, like, here's something that you need to realize. God is a forgiving, mercy, graceful God, but there are consequences. And so the reason that he says, lead us not into temptation, is because here's what he knows. It's not about grace or mercy or whether you're going to be forgiven, but there are consequences on this earth. And those consequences on this earth do have consequences, right? Like they are going to play out on this earth and there is going to be pain that goes with that. So the first part of this, he would say, if you're living a life right now, and I don't know if this is you, and you're not striving for holiness, you're not striving to get away from sin and you've just settled because this is what, this is what actually bothers me. There's a lot of sin that we don't even consider sin anymore, let alone stay away from it. Right? There's a lot of sin that's been accepted inside of culture that we're not, not only we're not fleeing from it, we've just let alone accepted it and we don't even feel bad about it anymore. But I'm saying, Scripture's saying, read sin for what it really is, whether you like it or not, and flee from it, right? Don't be led into that temptation and, and know that there's a reason why he wants you to stay away from that sin and the reason that he wants you to move into a different direction. Now, so that's the first part of it. The other part of it is this, is when you are looking at this idea of lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you remember what we said is the assumed truth from the beginning? That you're a follower, right? You're a follower of who? See, in church, this is when you can speak out loud, because if you get this one wrong, we're in trouble, right? So you're a follower of... Jesus, right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, and we get to this place, assume truth, and he says, whose kingdom is it about? It's easy to answer that one, right? Whose kingdom is it about? Jesus, right? Not ours. You know what we're getting to now? It's another leadership question. Who are you going to follow? You already see where we're at right now? So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Who's going to deliver you? Yeah, I'm trying to put them all together so you can keep saying Jesus and it's always right, right? You don't have to worry about getting the wrong answer. But the other part of it is you're being led one way or the other. You're either being led and delivered by Jesus or you're being led by yourself, right? Or by other people. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. So this lead us piece is this is back to a surrender. Like you've got to make a decision. Are you going to surrender? Right? Do you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to work on the condition of your heart. Are we still tracking? Hopefully. Right? The reason that you're getting in a room and the reason for prayer is because he's working on the condition of your heart. Right? The condition of your heart is being unveiled. Whose kingdom it's about? Who are you going to follow? Like he's starting to unveil some of those things and he gets to it again. Like when it comes into temptation, I'm going to start unveiling the things of your heart. Who are you going to follow? Right? And who are you going to be led by? Now, I'm going to share a little bit of a journey that I've been on, and I hope that will allow you to see this in a, in, a, in a light that I think will help you make sense. So one of the things that when we look at leadership and who's leading us, one of the things that we find is, is that leadership kind of moves itself into a couple different categories, and usually questions that we ask move us into the places where leadership 
will take us, right? So one of the things which you'll find about self-leadership, right, is you usually have a couple things in mind. Self-protection and self-gratification, right? So when you lead yourself, it's usually I need to gratify myself, right? So the decisions you make are for self-gratification and for self-protection, right? So when you lead yourself and you go down those roads, you're usually trying to fulfill those two things. So I just want to tell you, like, when I've been working through this uh, whole idea of prayer and this whole, like, lead us not into temptation, I just want to share with you story. So the last couple weeks, you know, if you guys didn't know this, my wife passed away a month ago, and, and I thought, like, I'm a pretty strong person, like, I can get through this, and I'm going to be pretty good. And these last couple weeks have been awful, right? Like, terrible. And, and here's why. So I, I come home, and so Lexi and Stephen are uh, on vacation in Tennessee uh, for a wedding. And then Isaac and his girlfriend and some friends, they're in Tennessee, and they're on vacation, you know. And they're sending me these pictures, you know, of all the fun things that they're doing, like they're going to a rodeo and the boot barn and, you know, they're hiking and, you know, doing all these awesome things, right? And you know what I'm doing? I'm sitting alone at this stupid table. And I'm like, this is awful. Like, this is awful. Like, and then I start going through this questions, these questions. And this is the question when I'm saying, like, Leadership-wise, this is the question I was asking myself. Why am I still here? Like, what's my purpose? You know what I mean? Which seems like, isn't that a pretty good question to ask? Like, what's my purpose in life now, and why am I here? Yeah, right? Like, you're working through that because I had to sit here and think, like, if this is the purpose, like, if this is what's left, like, why I'm here, like, if this is what's left, this sucks. Do you know what I'm saying? Anybody? Like, if you don't know, I hope you never know, but there is this place where you're processing, like, what's things going to be like? And I kept asking this question, like, why am I here? Because, you know, I don't, who am I going to plan a vacation with? And who am I going to, you know what I mean? And you start going through all these questions, and you know the answers that I'm trying to get of, like, why am I still here? Self-gratification and self-protection, right? You know what I'm trying to fix? I don't want to be alone at the table. I don't want to, I want somebody to share with. I want somebody to talk to. I want somebody to, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm going through all these things and it just led me down. Like I thought the right idea was get out all the home movies and watch home videos. Well, that was a bad idea. You know what I mean? I'm like watching all the pictures of, of things and, you know, I'm thinking like reading more of her journals and, and it just kept in this spiraling, like grasping for, like, I want so many things to be different, but it can't be different. And so this is what I'm saying. Self-leadership tries to fill holes that can never be filled. It didn't matter how many home movies you watched. It didn't matter what I tried to do. It didn't change anything. You hear me? Right? And I'm only saying this to you because this is my own situation, but this is also your situation when you look at this idea, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you're going to have self-leadership or somebody else is going to be leading you, you're going to go down these roads of self-gratification and self-protection, and you're going to find out that hole is never-ending, right? And that hole never gets fixed, and that hole, you just keep going down that road. And you know what this, this prayer, you know, helped me understand is that I'm actually asking the wrong question, right? You know what the right question is? Not why am I here, but who am I here for? You hear me? Right? The question should never be, why am I here? Because you know what, whose kingdom it's about when I ask that question? Mine and yours, right? Like when you're asking the question, what's my purpose in life and why am I still here? When I ask this question, who am I here for? What changes? Yeah, it, everything. Everything changes because now all of a sudden, instead of wallowing in self-pity about something that's never going to change and getting stuck in this idea that I can't ever fix this problem, because there'll never be, I don't care what anybody, there'll never be another Sherry. 
And all of, the, all of these things that you have, there's, there's not anybody that replaces that person. And so you can go down that road all day long and you can get caught up into trying to replace her through different things. And it's just a vicious cycle because all you're thinking about is yourself compared to, think about this. If I ask myself this question, who am I here for? That changes the trajectory of the way that I should be spending my life. Because you know what that means? He wasn't wrong when he took her. Right? My kingdom says it was too early. His kingdom says it was right on time. My kingdom says, I'm never going to be able to fix this. His kingdom says, I have a purpose for you. You're st- you were here for me to begin with, and somebody's life hangs in the balance of the response of your faith inside of all of these things if you look at it the right way. You're here for me, not for you. And so the reason that you're struggling so much is you thought this was about you. You thought that this struggle, that you thought this situation of your life partner being gone is all about you. But just so you understand, it was never about you. It's always been about me. And you're still here for me, not for you. And all of a sudden, doesn't that change things? All of a sudden, when you look at, God, don't don't move me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. It starts me processing down this fact of like, because you could really get caught up in things. Do you know what I mean? Like you could really get caught up. We used to share this. Uh, I watched some of our home videos. We used to take our kids to Guatemala all the time and go on these mission trips. And one of the skits that we always did was, you know, you had these people out there and they were always take, they had this heart and it had a hole in it and they were always trying to fill it with something and they could never fill it. Anybody ever seen these skits before? <laughs> a few of you, right? Like there's this heart and you keep, you put alcohol in it and cigarettes in it and you do this skit and nothing ever fills it. And you know why? Because inside of that, it's the same thing that he's saying. Like self-leadership says, keep stuffing it in there until the hole gets filled. And you keep stuffing and you might feel good for a little bit, but you stuff a little bit more and then all of a sudden it's empty again. Right? And that's where he's saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, the only way you're going to be delivered from evil, this is so important, listen to me, is to have another purpose. If you have no other purpose, you're not going to magically be delivered from evil. Right? Now, hear hear me when I say this, because that looks like it didn't make any sense to anybody. So let me help you figure this out. If you're going to sit here just, just as a kid right now, so if you're struggling with, as a parent, you're trying to tell your kids, like, we don't want you to sin, and we don't want you to make all these mistakes, we don't want you to fall into temptation, you know, so we're going to keep you at home, and you're going to play puzzles with us for the, for the rest of your teenage life. Just so you know, at some day, they're not going to be at your table playing puzzles. And you know what they're going to do? Whatever they want, right? Whatever they want to do. Compared to, like, listen to me, compared to this, what if you give them a purpose? You know, we can try to control everything, or we can say, you know what? Same concept. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The way you're going to deliver us from evil is to follow Jesus. And you know what the greatest thing about following Jesus is? You know that whole Bible? You know how big it is? Anybody still got Bibles? Right? They're big. There's a lot of stuff in them. You know what's so great about Jesus? You know what he said? I'll sum it up for you. You want a summary? Anybody want a summary of what the whole thing says? No? Okay, for the few of you that do, I'll sum it up for what he says. If you want it all summed up, the sum up the law and the prophets, here's the sum up the law of the prophets. If you're a disciple of mine, you will love other people. Love me, and if you love me, to love other people, sum it all up. You know what we need to teach people? Deliver us from evil doesn't mean put us in a box and keep us away. It means have a purpose in your life. You know what that purpose in your life is? Love other people. Invest your life into some. Teach your kids to invest in the lives of other people. They're still going to make mistakes. They're still going to sin. But at the end of the day, teach them to invest into the lives of other people. 
That's where I got to this place when I can answer this question, who am I here for? And his delivering me from this funk isn't just to make me feel better, but it's helped me to remember my purpose and know this, that the lives of people and their faith hang in the balance of me, self-pity, stuck in a hole, or remembering why I'm here right, and the purpose of why I'm here, and that God can use those who would understand this, the reason you're still here is for me. You can be delivered from that evil when you understand how to ask the right questions. So the worship team is going to come back up. Let me give you some things to think about, okay? So we're going to summarize the prayer up and put it in an essence that I hope for all of us will be able to move you in the right direction. Because here's what I want you to understand about the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer doesn't have any magic just because you say it, right? Our Father who art in heaven, how to be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know how sometimes in church you just say it all the time, right? And you got to remember. There's no power in saying the Lord's Prayer. So I want us to walk away from here thinking, wow, I can recite the Lord's Prayer. Now I know what it says. The power is in the essence of what God is trying to do inside of teaching his disciples how to pray. You know what the essence of what he's trying to do? He's trying to get to the depths of your heart. And he's trying you to get you to realize that it's okay to unveil the condition of your heart. You see, I think, and I hope you guys are okay with this, like, I've wondered sometimes like whether or not I want to share my journey with you and my hurt and like what I'm going through. But what I want to teach you is, is that it's important for you to be honest about the condition of your heart, right? Like you need to be honest about the condition of your heart. So part of the prayer is to be honest about your condition. Like it's okay. Like I think you need to really understand this. When you get alone in your room and you hear it's all about your kingdom and not mine, that the condition of your heart is wrong. You need to hear it, right? You need to sit in that, not just ignore it, walk away from it, justify it. You need to sit on it. The condition of my heart is not right. And you need to sit in it until the condition of your heart is right. You hear me? Like, it does no good for you to walk away and not change the condition of your heart. It does no good to sit inside of a church service and say, wow, that's good. I, I know I think need to change. But then you're not going to do the work to change the condition of your heart. Why is it? This is what I had to realize. Why am I so mad? Why am I so upset? You know why? The condition of my heart wasn't right. The condition of my heart wasn't right. I needed to get it right. I needed to have a peace that surpasses all understanding when the condition of my heart is right, when it says, your kingdom, not mine, your kingdom, not mine, and you're good, right? I said, you know, part of the gift of worship is that when you can sing something that really sticks to and it's something that you can really believe in. So when we sang that song, you're never gonna be alone, Remember the song in the beginning? When you're standing in the fire, somebody's standing next to you. You see, when you allow the condition of your heart to be unveiled and you actually work through those things, you can truly stand in the fire and withstand the flames because you can believe that there is somebody with you because you've done the work. And when he says when you're standing in the sea, sometimes it feels like you're drowning But he says, inside of the sea, somebody's there and they are with you, holding back the sea. And this prayer is to help you understand, to work through, to know that there is somebody in that room with you as you're working through the condition of your heart, the surrender of your soul, the surrender of your will, and the idea like, why are you still here? Isn't the question that we should be asking, who are you here for? should be the question that each one of us should ask. Because if you don't know this, the breath that you got today was a gift. And the one that gave you that gift is the one that you're here for. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? 
And as he delivers you out of the temptation and delivers you into your purpose for being here, you're going to find the beauty of standing in the fire and the beauty of standing in the sea because you're never alone. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So, Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we want to thank you for the gift of music, Lord, that we can come to a place where as we work through this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that you ask us to do some of the hard work alone in our rooms of unveiling the condition of our heart and doing some of the hard work that it takes to understand um, how to live the way that you've called us to live. Lord, I pray today that we will ask the right questions. Whose kingdom is it about? Not about what our purpose in this earth is, but why are we, who are we still here for? Lord, and we know as followers we're here for you. So use us. Deliver us from the temptation of getting caught up in ourselves, Lord, and let us understand that we're here to pour our lives into other people. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. The king of my heart be the fountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song. You are good. You're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, and let the king of my heart the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down let's sing this out
You know, when you're in your room and you can not just say that, but believe it, like you're good. Regardless of the circumstances of life, regardless of what have happened around me, regardless of what's going on in, in my life right now, you are good. When you can rest in those places, it makes this whole idea of who kingdom is about and who are we following and, and who are we being led by. Like That all makes sense when you believe what those words really say. He is good and that he will never let us down. So again, as you go out this week, I want to pray that you'll spend some time alone, work through some of the hard stuff, allow God to, to uh, help you look at the condition of your heart, surrender your will to his, be led and follow him into the place that he has for each one of you. Ask the right questions. Who are you here for? And then act on the things that he wants us to do. So excited that you're here with us this week. Look forward to you come back next week as we finish up this series, Grown Up Prayers. We'll see you next week.